it's really important to be engaged somehow in your local community, something that you can touch and feel and be engaged in and brings immense joy to be connected. But while doing that, don't forget that we are a global community and there are children you will never see, that you'll never have a chance to engage with, that are counting on us to be part of the solution in their communities and that we have that responsibility because it is a global world. And if one thing the pandemic has done for us is to remind us that we are a globally connected world both when negative things happen, but also in our ability to make positive change globally. Welcome to Joy at Work. I'm your host, Alex Liu, Managing Partner and Chairman at Kearney. Lately, our teams at Kearney have been thinking a lot about purpose. Our research shows that centering purpose is absolutely essential for work that is both engaging and joyful. Today, I want us to think about the joy of purpose and giving. Today, we have a special holiday edition of Joy at Work, just in time for the season of celebration, reflection, and generosity. My guest today has a job that is all about giving generously, helping others, and living out his purpose. Michael Neinheis is the president and CEO of UNICEF USA. He has worked on humanitarian efforts for the past 25 years, and at UNICEF, he is leading important initiatives to improve the lives of the world's children. This year, UNICEF has actually been celebrating its 75th anniversary. Quite an impressive legacy from this far-reaching organization. So first, Michael, thanks so very much for joining us today. Alex, thank you for having me and for this wonderful focus during this holiday season. First, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, what does joy at work look like for you? How do you find joy in the job that you do, which is so busy and so important? Yeah, I think you've used the right word earlier, which is purpose. I think that really is what gives us joy generally in life, right? To kind of know what our purpose is and to have something maybe bigger than ourselves that we're engaged in. And we have the privilege to do that every day at UNICEF. Our work is focused on serving others. And I want to think about that in two ways. One, the core of our mission, which is to serve children in need around the world. But we also play this really important role with our donors and stakeholders and constituents on this side uh, who are looking for purpose and meaning and joy. And we are an outlet for that, for them to sort of live beyond themselves, to connect to something bigger than themselves, and to, uh, to engage in really important work around the world. The world has been talking about purpose. Our firm has been talking about and thinking a lot about purpose, as I mentioned earlier. For someone like you, who's leading a nonprofit that is global, that has a far reach of impact, that purpose is pretty obvious. If you have the opportunity to give advice to corporate leaders and other types of leaders who want to tie their work to a bigger purpose like you do every day, what would be some of the nuggets you'd give them? Yeah, it's interesting. I had a conversation not too long ago with the CEO of a big company, a toy company here, and we were talking about sort of his view of his own company. And uh, they had gone sort of a mind shift there from thinking about themselves as a manufacturer of toys to an organization company whose purpose was to bring joy to children. We know in the work that we do that mental health issues for children around the world are huge and unaddressed too often. And one of the key ways to address that is through play. And we were talking about actually how similar our purposes were. 
Both of us were interested in the well-being of children. Both of us led very different kinds of organizations, but both were interested in creating an opportunity for kids to feel joy, to have better mental health and better health overall. And so I think it's really a question of really looking at what is the product or service and how does it really help bring life and opportunity and joy to the people that the company serves. And, you know, I had a, another donor that I worked with a while back whose family owned a bunch of fast food franchises. And um, he was saying, well, you know, I produce this, you know, fast food every day and look what you're doing with serving. And I said, listen, you've told me stories of the employees that you have, many of them from immigrant families who are trying to make it here in this country, who started a job in your restaurants at the front counter or somewhere and now are managers of your stores and are creating great opportunities for their children. So the purpose of your company is not just to make fast food, but it is to provide meaningful employment and opportunity for thousands of people. And uh, so again, it's a little bit how you look at the work that you're doing. Thank you for those examples. Now, but you know, we're going into the end of year holidays, the end of the year, New Year's greetings, et cetera. A lot of people and companies are customarily making their annual gifts, donations, New Year pledges, resolutions, et cetera. I'm curious, what have you learned over the last period of time recently, especially about corporate giving and how this can make an impact? Yeah, we are really privileged, UNICEF, to have partnerships with so many wonderful corporations that really are seeing themselves as purpose-driven companies and investing not only their resources, but the energy of their employees, their senior leaders in the kinds of work that we're doing and the partnerships that we have with them. And, you know, I would say maybe two things that we're seeing in those partnerships, which is number one, companies that are trying to drive even closer to their business operations, what their particular specialty is, what their expertise is, to bring that to bear for social good, which we think is terrific because the closer you can align it to business goals, the more likely that work is going to be sustained over time because it makes sense from a business perspective to produce social good through that way. And then secondly is just employee involvement and engagement. You know, every company we work with now wants to know how we can, through this partnership, engage their employees in this kind of work because I think think they know their employees want their companies to be purpose-driven. They want to know that they're engaged in work that produces social good. And those are things that bring joy to employees to be involved again in something beyond just what's in their job description to be part of their company's larger social purpose in the world. I mean, there clearly is a multiplier effect going on here. I think businesses have become quite aware and CEOs, especially in the last couple of years that we are and they are a platform for change and just being able to complete that circle, offer the opportunity to have that multiplier effect to companies and enterprises that want to do it. Like you said, for the employees, the work itself becomes more meaningful and that creates a nice positive cycle that we can all enjoy. How would you say, Michael, that corporate giving has changed over the past couple of years? Obviously a lot going on here and there's a lot and a huge need for philanthropy and funding for so many worthy causes. Yeah, certainly. And I think one of the reasons that corporations turn to us at UNICEF is because of our global breadth. Uh, if you want to reach children and families who are in need around the world, you know, nobody can do it like us. We've got boots on the ground in 180 countries and deep experience over decades in every corner of the world. And so a lot of times companies have interests in particular countries or regions because where they have employees, where they have manufacturing, where they have partners and we're able to help tailor the work with those companies to make it make sense for them as well as for the work that we want to accomplish. So I think 
what we've moved away from is more of a transactional relationship. I have a really interesting project and you have some resources in your CSR budget. And let's see if we can make a match to those to true partnership where we sit down together and design really important projects. One of the examples of that is this uh, really terrific work that we have with Microsoft, which has helped us develop something we call the Learning Passport, which was designed as a technology tool to help refugee and migrant kids who are out of their country because of conflict or disaster of one type or another to be able to access their national curriculum and continue in their education. And during the pandemic, we were able to adapt that with Microsoft's help to use for students who are still in their country, but were out of school to be able to access their curriculum. So, you know, that's a great example of coming together around a table to say, what can we do together to further the education goals that we have and the social impact goals that a company like Microsoft has. I love that example because it shows you're being able to adapt and tailor your brand, your legacy, your resources for company-specific or even purpose-specific geographics purposes. I think one of the reasons they're turning to us there is we have a 75-year track record of doing effective work around the world, and yet we operate like we're 75 months old, like a startup almost, with being really flexible and nimble about the way we do the work on the ground in the countries where we work. And so they develop a trust with us that they can turn their resources over to us in a flexible way and let us deliver the programs that we need to deliver without them having to spend a whole lot of time, which they don't have in trying to direct exactly where that money should go. Michael, you know, you took on your current role, the lead role at UNICEF in 2020. Perfect timing, right? (laughs) At the beginning of a lot of things that unfolded, things beyond our control as humans. I'm sure that your plans were thrown off just like everyone else's. I was curious for you individually, how did you pivot and innovate during that time? How did you keep it going, keep that joy going? Yeah, so this is really complicated. I started my work at UNICEF USA at the very end of March last year, so about two weeks after New York City shut down, for instance, that's where our headquarters is. And so I did, you know, really did the whole first year of this job leading a pretty big complex organization remotely from my home here in Connecticut. And uh, it was, you know, really difficult to figure out, for instance, as a leader, how do I get this staff, my board, our constituents to know who I am and to hear what I'm thinking and to trust that I've got a direction for the organization that I want to take it. So I used digital tools. That's what we had. In the first few months, I produced uh, videos three times a week to share my thoughts and ideas and to seek feedback from staff. I involved my golden retriever in a number of those, so to humanize me a little bit. So I think just from a leadership perspective, how to figure out how to lead a completely remote organization all of the sudden was a big challenge. And just finding innovative ways to reach out to people. But I would say too, with our constituents who want to be inspired by the work that we're doing, one of the things that we came up with was to do what we called virtual field visits. So we couldn't take anybody out to go see the programs uh, like we used to because of the pandemic. So we would work with one of our country offices somewhere and develop about an hour, hour and a half long program we'd call a virtual field visit where we'd actually take them digitally into the field to go visit projects, to see 
see what it was like to talk to the people on the ground in a virtual way and using Zoom or other tools to do that. And it was such a hit that this is one of the things that will carry on for us post-pandemic, even as we return to the opportunity to take some people into the field to go see the programs directly. We can take so many more this way, you know, to really inspire the people we need to support our work. You know, I'd like to say we need to take everybody to go see that work and we can do it through trips, technology, and storytelling. And the technology piece of that was really accelerated because of the need to do it during the pandemic. That's a hugely positive story. So I applaud you for that. Curious, because you mentioned the leadership matters, certainly during a crisis like we've all gone through. I was wondering, you know, from your own leadership style, do you think you're carrying over some of the requirements that you were able to institute early on in 2020 going forward? Have you taken any lessons for your own personal style from that crisis management to maybe hopefully more steady state going forward? Yeah, and I would say one of the key learnings there was the importance of what I've been calling the democratization of information. So UNICEF is a big global organization. Our part of it, UNICEF USA here, even that we're spread out across the country. We've got offices in nine cities here in the U.S. New York is the headquarters, and that's where I would be based. Pre-pandemic, the people in the New York office would have a lot more access to me and me to them than our other teams around the country or our UNICEF colleagues around the globe. And what happened during the pandemic, because everything was being done over Zoom, was a democratization. The staff member in our San Francisco office, I had as much access to that person and they did to me as somebody in our New York office who I might have seen physically every day. Our UNICEF colleague in a country office in Ghana, I had as much contact with that person and that person with me as anywhere else. And so that's something that I think is really positive, And that's a good lesson learned out of the pandemic. I love it. We're in this together and we're going to do it in a transparent, equal way. I think that's great. I'm really inspired by your stories of action and hope and continued challenge. I'm giving you the magic wand here. What's your final messages to our listeners about how they can be the difference? and how they can give back and create change right now. A couple of things. One is to find joy and purpose in the work that we're given to do every day, right? So just as my example of the fast food franchise owner, to really think about how the work that we do every day contributes to the larger social good. And I think that's really important that we don't set aside the value of our own work as being more than a job and being part of uh, something that's bigger. The second thing I would say is I think it's really really important for people to, as they reach outside of themselves, to think both locally, nationally, and globally. It's really important to be engaged somehow in your local community, something that you can touch and feel and be engaged in. And it brings immense joy to be connected to the local food bank or the local pantry or the the local social service agency and volunteer and get involved and feel good about participating. But while doing that, don't forget that we are a global community and there are children you will never see, that you'll never have a chance to engage with, that are counting on us to be part of the solution in their communities. And if one thing the pandemic has done for us is to remind us that we are a globally connected world, both when negative things happen, but also in our ability to make positive change globally. So yeah, I've just encouraged people to really think about that as they come into the holiday season, they think about giving back and they think about their own philanthropy and their own volunteer service, to think locally, think about the issues in our country that touch them, but remember the children of the world that need that help and support from us too. 
I love your message about the global family, but having that sense of interconnectedness, the concentric circles, I think, as you mentioned before, is really critical. You know, there's holidays, there's also birthdays. This is the UNICEF's 75th anniversary. So congratulations on that. We've alluded to that a few times. In light of your 75th anniversary, how can our listeners who are listening now support your work? Yeah, thank you. And um, it is a really important milestone, isn't it? 75 years. It's not a whole lot of things that have stood the test of time. And uh, UNICEF is one of them. And that's because the organization is incredibly well-respected around the world, has an incredible track record of delivering results for children on a regular basis. It's why that level of expertise is why the world turned to us to take the lead role in delivering COVID vaccines around the world. That's not our normal course of business is vaccines for adults, but we provide vaccines for 45% of the world's kids every year. We have the procurement mechanisms, the relationships on the ground, the supply chains locally to make that happen. And so that's a huge piece of what we're doing in our 75th year is trying to get equitable access to the vaccine all the way around the world. And so this is a both and moment for us, all of our regular work, plus this incredible effort to end the pandemic through the distribution of COVID vaccine. So we need everybody's help. And we'd love for people to go to our website, unicefusa.org and check out what we're doing and be inspired by some of the stories there. And then as they're thinking about their year-end giving, support us, help make this work possible. We'd really appreciate it. Unicefusa.org. I'm writing it down. I'm putting it in bold and I hope our listeners follow it and follow you. I've been so inspired, Michael, by your stories, your explanation of the purpose, the history, the legacy and the future for your great organization. I'm wishing you the best in the holiday season, but also in what you're doing. So thanks so much for joining us in our audience today. Alex, thanks so much for your interest in this and for bringing some joy to all of us in the holiday season. If you're looking for ways to transform your work and create more joy, subscribe to Joy at Work wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to hear about how you're finding joy at work. Share on social media with the hashtag Joy at Work. Joy at Work is produced by Carney, a global management consulting firm. We help our clients reach their full potential and find the way forward during uncertain times. Learn more at carney.com slash joy at work. And if you enjoy this show, Check out the other shows in the Carney Podcast Network, including A World Transformed, Reimagining the Future, hosted by my colleague and Chairman Emeritus, Paul Laudacina. It's a fascinating look at how our current crisis will propel us into a new reality. And on Inside the Mind, Carney's Consumer Institute interviews consumer communities to uncover how and why people shop today and what their behaviors mean for the future of consumer goods and retail companies. You can find these shows wherever you listen to podcasts.